Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Events over the past year have shone a light on racial inequality across the globe. Australia is no exception. This nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind, and in a spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Life is changing in Australia because the pub is shut. Sucked in, fellas. I actually find it gobsmacking. I will call it a personal nightmare. Tell the Prime Minister to go and get... This is changing all around the world. I accept your nomination. The authority is total. And I rejected that approach. It's all about acknowledging how far we've come. He's all tip and no iceberg. Like a really scary wooden puppet. He was drunk. That's not true. Not now, not ever. You're a classic space invader. A social climbing sycophant. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Interest of democracy. Very good. <laughs> G'day there, Mark Kenny here from ANU's Australian Studies Institute, speaking from the improvised studio of the Crawford School of Public Policy. Public policy and its implications for ordinary people is very much our focus here on Democracy Sausage, and in particular, the least well-off, the unemployed and those on the economic margins of existence. Back in the GFC, perversely, economic conditions for many Australians actually got better thanks to a combination of bold fiscal and accompanying monetary policy. Not only were most Australians sent cheques to spur retail demand, but vast billions were slated for infrastructure projects, for roads, rail, score halls, and on top of all of this there was the twin positives that recession was avoided and for those lucky enough to own their own homes, mortgage rates dropped sharply as well. So it was a crisis uh, that we heard a lot about, but uh, for many people at least, it wasn't really experienced. And uh, I guess that's what you'd say is successful public policy. Of course, there were those on the margins who remained on the margins. The upside during the COVID crisis has been even harder to find, but one group has fared better than it was, the unemployed. That is to say, they've got more money for a time. After years of denial and delay, the voiceless cohort of the unemployed suddenly received a much-needed boost in their income thanks to the Job Seeker Coronavirus Supplement, which effectively doubled the dole, at least in its initial form. It's been pared back since. So let's talk about the dole, the unemployed, and indeed the underemployed, with a democracy sausage favourite, author, researcher, commentator, Dr Liz Allen, or Dr Demography, as she's known to many people, author of The Future of Us, which we've discussed on this podcast before. Liz, welcome back to the Barbecue Hot Plate. Well, gee, favourite. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I'm going to have to live that up. I'm going to have to work really hard to, to like, 
to, oh to hold on gosh. to it now. Yeah, you're going to – exactly. It's a sort <sighs> of a it, – it's like once you have that knowledge, you're sort of trapped with it, aren't you? Yeah, it, it kind of – it's mine to lose. So if I ask even inane questions now, you can say things like that's very perceptive – I wouldn't use words like that. I'd go, hmm, that's an interesting point. Interesting point, yes. Which is code for you're a moron. (laughs) And I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we we had you on the podcast last year, as I say, talking about your book, The Future of Us, but we also had an extraordinary discussion, was for me anyway, Mm. uh, and for many of our listeners, about your own experiences, which you've been, I think, admirably and uncommonly frank about, mm. um, particularly for an academic. Yep. Um, so this whole question of how people on the margins have fared during this crisis, um, I've seen you doing some uh, commentary on this. I've mm. seen uh, you you're on Twitter and other places talking about it. It's It's been a tough period, obviously, yeah. for everyone, but um, for the voiceless, those that we generally are out of sight for most of us, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. It's been very tough. Yeah, it. I think, as you said in your introduction, COVID has granted many opportunities and one of them is the realisation through increased um, income support for those on unemployment of what it's like to be able to feed yourself the kind of three standard meals a day every day of the week, mm. be able to afford your medication, be able to afford birthday presents or um, being able to, to afford excursions for your kids. And these are the realities that we don't see. And I think it's interesting that you use the word, you know, the the silent people or the quiet people. And I think they're yelling loudly. Mm. It's just we're not listening. We're not allowing the platform for people to be heard. We are silencing them. And I use the word them deliberately because we other people who are not like us. And when we assert that people are not us, it's easier for us to put our arm out at, you know, arm's reach and going, it's not our problem. What's been so fabulous about COVID is the realisation that you cannot survive on a safety net that has been designed to catch people in vulnerable situations. You know, the, the reality is, is that the income support for unemployment and for the unemployed is punitive. It's not designed to elevate you to a position where you can participate. I mean, it's uh, it's so hard to put into words what it's like to live with scarcity. Mm. And I think that for those that have never experienced it, it's difficult to put yourself in someone else's position. And what really kind of stirs me up is how I, you know, people are saying, well, maybe we could keep the rate of, of, um, of unemployment benefits higher or we should increase it for those that are newly unemployed. Like they are somehow more deserving yeah. or less 
Is it like a moral decision being made right? there? Oh, you've been tipped out of work by the COVID crisis, therefore you should be compensated more. Yeah, and What's they're the making a distinction between it's almost kind of like a eugenic kind of decision-making process and suggesting that somehow people who have been on on these benefits for longer are less worthy humans or are somehow deserving of of their their loss of the lottery of life mm. and it just that kind of conversation is missing from the public discourse and no matter how hard we try and how hard lots of people have tried, it just doesn't crack into the kind of the mainstream in a way that it, will it, make it, change. That's right, it doesn't, and yet it's it's quite odd this in some ways. I mean, you can certainly see the financial disincentive on governments for spending more. Mm. You know, they, 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 they spending taxpayers' money and they say, well, we're spending enough and we can't afford to spend any more. Mm. And I think, you know, for the sake of, of, of accuracy, we should note that both major sides of, of politics have resisted mm-hmm. increasing the dole for a long time. That's I know right. that I personally asked treasurers uh, and and uh, shadow treasurers this question mm. uh, over a uh, succession of years at, at post-budget lunches and the like, yes. uh, why have you not increased the dole? And, and uh, I remember asking Chris Bowen when he was uh, shadow treasurer um, and e- even before, must have been before the 2016 election, mm. um, I think, uh, might have been 2019, um, you know, there was, the Labor was still equivocating. Labor has, you know, sort mm. of hardened up its position in favour of increasing the, the dole since yes. then. And, of course, we, as we speak today, there has now been an increase dialed in by the government. We'll come to yes. that in a minute. Um but it is really hard to see why this group is is so voiceless. I mean, we know we've had major employer groups, yes, welfare groups, mm-hmm. um, economists, you know, public economists, uh, commentators. There's been a very strong consensus right across you know what you might call the political spectrum, spectrum yes. and the business yeah. spectrum, in favour of a higher level of unemployment benefit to make it functional and to make the labour market more functional. Mm. And yet the political class has largely resisted this. Coronavirus comes yeah. along and we get that, that effective doubling and That's there was right. this enormous sense of relief and we yeah. heard people saying, wow, I can actually afford to. This is what living's like, right? Yeah, mm. but it's gone backwards again since. Yeah, and I this is something I kind of, I spend a great deal of time kind of thinking about from a philosophical point of view. And what I've kind of come to, and it's probably not right or not complete thinking, but if we look at survey data around what people's perception of um, government spending on different um, welfare payments, people will people tend to think that unemployment benefits are the largest cost, and that's not the case. It's actually the age pension. Right, and then so it makes me think, and that I would say is followed up very closely by money forfeited for concessional treatment, tax treatment of superannuation. There, there are so many perverse. um, I want to say kickbacks, but that's not really the word. Perverse incentives for the wealthy to advance their position, while those at the bottom rung of life pay for it. Right. So it's 
it's, yeah, so I kind of come back to this thing that is it that it is politically populist to and and advantageous for politicians to heap the the crap on on the lowly um so that it looks like they're being hard and 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 making people work for their money so to speak while the age pension on the other hand is considered more of an entitlement mm. um and it's just what concerns me about that then is that populist politics is is deliberately being divisive and causing us harm and it causes us all harm um if we look at um say for example the the work for the doll everyone likes the idea that someone is doing something to I sh- perhaps I shouldn't say everyone a lot of people would say they enjoy the idea that 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 people receiving unemployment benefits are doing something to to work toward them but the reality is it actually takes away opportunity to look for jobs so it actually has the reverse effect of the intended purpose and so work for the doll can be harmful on many different levels you know which we don't have time to really get into but it, it if we want people to be actively um, seeking work and being able to to go for interviews and and prepare oneself in a variety of ways, work for the dole is an impediment to that. Well, there are some new restrictions that are going to come in on on, on this increase that uh, we're just about to talk about, which is the um, increase of uh, four dollars a day. I should say. Yep, yep. Sorry, yes, um, four dollars a day. Say so, Diffy. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 less than a uh, less than a hamburger and a milkshake, uh, one might say. In fact, less arguably than the cost of a cup of coffee here on this campus. Uh, <laughs> do you know that that what what I find really peculiar about that, and I'm probably going to really um, uh, upset people, is see how we have to make it. We we have to realise what it's like if it were to impact our life. Yeah, that's the equivalence of a coffee. Or, or you know, or or it, it ain't it ain't any hamburger I know about. But anyway, but people on these these payments, they they're not thinking about a burger or a milkshake or a coffee. They are thinking about the basic kind of nature of survival. And I and, and I you know I'm all for making the okay. That's what it would be like if it were to impact my life. But we're talking about totally different structures of existence. And this is what really upsets me is that we want everybody to participate and to, to, to strive for, um, you know, building, uh, the Australian economy. But we are holding people back to, in, in order to appease the political strategy and the political populism that has been created and is actually as easily discredited and and done away with. What I would like to see is a realisation that doesn't matter how um, your socioeconomic circumstances of your birth have limited your opportunities, 
We are all entitled to the same opportunities. Some of us will require different opportunities because of our, our differential standing in life. And until we get to the point that there is no kind of class that actually makes someone more superior in some kind of weird genetic way, you know, it kind of goes back to we're all in this together. We are all entitled to a meaningful existence and that means that we we all require some kind of basic knowledge of that or b- basic recognition of that. Do you think one of the problems is that the unemployed are not just disaggregated in a physical sense, you know, mm. they're scattered around, they're living in whatever uh, accommodation they have as individuals or as mm. individual family units, whatever it is, um, and so that economically disempowered and they're also politically disempowered. They don't have that collective identity. Yeah, and I th- I th- there, there is certainly um, an organisation that has been developed to address that, which mm. is I've, I'm going to mangle the title, but it, it's essentially an, a union. Unemployed Workers Union. Yeah, yeah. to, um, to, to mobilise and to ensure that um, there was a face to uh, – to a, this kind of social ill that many have kind of pushed aside. As but, of course, real hard. unions have as their ultimate sanction the withdrawal of labour. That's right. It's pretty right. hard to do when you don't have any labour. Yeah, and, and I, but what I think is it's a step forward, it's a recognition that I think I'm going to – I've got to be careful, I think, about my choice of words here because I don't, I don't wish to offend. But what it makes people realise is that through the human face that's given to the people on on unemployment benefits, they're not dull bludgers. They're people who want to have a go. They're not getting the go, but they're saying if we had more of um, um, a support, a safety net that meant that we could um, economically participate. That's right, and mm. pay for the bus fare or mm. pay for the the shoes or the outfit to get to the job interview. And perhaps In, have a bit of the confidence that, that comes with that right. participation. Yeah. It's, know, when, it's a very complex It is, and when we treat picture. people as second-class Australians, it doesn't. it's not surprising then that the response is, well, if, you're gonna, if that's what we are, well, okay, I'm going to be the best of that. And, you know, and I think that's incredibly demeaning. And we, you know, we like to think about, um, kind of crime and criminality among, among the poor. But do you, do you know what it's like not to be able to feed your kids on unemployment benefits? I'm getting emotional when you're thinking about it. I have, I've stolen a meal to feed my children. And I'm going to say that and I'm going to say it to be proud. You know, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm admitting a criminal act, but it was the only way I could feed my family. Well, it's not a criminal act in my book. But I think that and that's what is so frustrating is that society, the way that we structure things, forces that act and then seeks to penalise it even for, even further. Yeah, and entrench that level of sort yeah. of disassociation with laws and norms because effectively if you're locked out of it economically that's then right. you are locked out of it practically that's right and and it's you have 
you're then in a system of constrained choice. What choices do I have to survive and to ensure the survival of my children? And I think that that, that's the bare bones of it. And what we've shown during COVID, while many of us have been going, how great is it to work from home? Mm. You know, I can move to the regions and, wow, look at this fancy, fancy. For many people, the, you know, the nurses, the, the the police officers, the teachers, the construction workers, they aren't moving anywhere. You know, they're not working from home. They don't have that luxury or that privilege. In some cases, that home. Exactly. And and as as these payments are wound back, we will see a crisis, a secondary crisis that we're all going, phew, we got through it. But the rent deferrals, the loan deferrals, the pain is just coming. The credit cards, the overdrafts. Yeah. This is we've we've asked people to survive. We've asked people to just make it in, and we've promised make it through. We've we've promised we're all in this together. But we're going to have this small explosion of a crisis that will see homelessness occur in suburbia. Our next door neighbours, you know, the people that don't look like on the outside they're homeless, but because of the precarious nature of their their housing, the more people moving in together to survive and mm. band together, these are all of our making, these social problems, but they're within our gift to change. Hold that thought. We'll be back in just a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week, we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive, and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now, when you were, just before the break, you were talking about some of these policy uh, problems being within our gift to change. Now, one yeah. of those was was homelessness itself. Mm. When we when we were in lockdown, in particular, um, obviously it became a matter of everyone's interest that we took homeless people off the streets. You can't That's you right. can't have like you know, as as they did in Victoria, you know, night curfews and yep. and uh, requirements on 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 non visiting of uh, residents and so forth, and have other people who are wandering around. So. A cynic might say it became in everyone's interest suddenly to find housing for mm-hmm. the the dispossessed, the marginalised people who are sec- effectively don't don't get much consideration a lot of the time. Mm. That's all sort of started to unwind as well. That's right. That's right. And it's it, um, it, and don't get me wrong. I think what what was occurring, and I'm talking about Canberra in this instance, 
what was fabulous is, you know, you saw the regulars that were sleeping rough were kind of um, and accommodated and some of them were actually put into mental health facilities and guarded with police um, presence, which was incredibly traumatising um, for, for, for these people who were sleeping rough, obviously, for probably a lifetime of trauma, mm. due to a lifetime of trauma. And these are things, again, that we're not hearing about or we don't choose to ask questions about because it doesn't impact us, right? Now, I'm, I hate to kind of, and I don't mean to, to pull people down, but these are the realities, right? And homelessness, people sleeping rough is just the tip of the iceberg. Homelessness occurs quite literally in, in suburbia. It, in, you know, it happens in your street. There are probably people in the wealthiest of neighborhoods who are experiencing by definition homelessness because of the insecurity of their housing. And their work. That, that's exactly right. Mm. And, you know, we're, we, I think sometimes when I talk, it, people leave the conversation and go, whoa, that was, that was intense, right? Mm. But then I think you've got to be honest. We need to a wake-up call and that's what COVID has granted. And if we don't take this opportunity, I'm furious. It's this wake-up call, you know, and I'm going to, you know, we like to hear the word reset and Ross Garneau has, has nicely kind of laid out a, a coherent um, um, uh, statement or plan. Yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was about to say manifesto of how we can reset, right? It's within our gift. We just need the momentum, um, the the vision and the the drive to actually do something. And there'll be people going, yeah, yeah, this community organ is doing lots. No, this is at a structural level where we have politicians change that populist narrative that they've created, that they leverage to one of positivity. Well, one of the things the government has that has driven its decisions, and I think to be fair to the government, it's 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 tipped untold billions. What is it, three hundred billion dollars into into the economy in mm. a range of things, particularly wage subsidies and and JobKeeper supplements yep. and and the like that we've been talking about. It's made a virtue that all of this can be unwound; that none of it is recurrent spending. The 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 increase we've just talked about to the dole, which applies from April first is recurrent, that is, it will continue mm. forward. It's a very modest amount. It is. As we said, $4 mm. a day, 25 bucks a week or whatever mm. it is. Um, and it has a $9 billion uh, price tag over the forward estimates for the budget. So it's one of the few things the government has put into play now, mm. somewhat reluctantly, yep. that, as they say, bakes in expenditure f- yes. you know, on, f- into the future. So most of the logic of that argument, most of the logic that underpins all of the government decisions has been based on this idea of not having overhang costs from this and also essentially taking the economy back to where it was. Mm. And what Professor Garno's been talking about, and I, I know you've just done an event yeah. with him, uh, I think you were both talking about your books, were you? Uh, no, I just uh, took the uh, the opportunity to uh, to make him read mine. 
Do what you can. Do what you can. I saw a lovely picture where you'd exchanged uh, autographs on on, on each other. We did, and I was so excited like a little kid uh, that I held my breath and you can actually see the photo where I'm going, (gasps) I was uh, so excited. That's on your Twitter feed, isn't it? It is. Well, I mean, I I haven't told Ross this yet, but I will hit him up to have a a chat about the the terrific ideas that he's outlined in that book and you've read it. I haven't at this stage, but I have heard him interviewed as well. And I know of some of those ideas, things mm. like universal basic income yes. in exchange for doing away with, um, among other things, the tax-free threshold. Uh, I, I take it that's the kind of mechanism he's talking about there, is he not? So- what, what he is proposing is a really grand and exciting move forward. And he's very clearly laid out that we cannot return to pre-COVID, what he refers to as the dog days, um, for a variety of reasons. We cannot because we actually can't go back. Mm. We don't, we cannot replicate those economic conditions at a functional level, mm. but we shouldn't want to go back to that anyway. we should recognise that it was better for some than it was for That's others right. and that there are opportunities to fix it and That's the political right. leverage, this sort of hinge moment of COVID yeah. provides us that opportunity to yep. look at these things afresh. And that goes back to your point about what we need is political vision, That's right. some courage, uh, um, uh, an expansive public conversation. That's right. And it all needs to and it all can happen relatively quickly if mm. you can identify good ways forward. That's right. And I think there are, as you said, there are positive steps that we're seeing. The the, the government has recognised that there are issues um, and that's that's comforting, I guess, and, and um, our confidence building. Um, but we can't stop there. And, you know, this what, what Garno clearly lays out are that there we were just kind of sailing through with an arrogance and you know, thinking, ah, oh, Australia's, we're so good. And actually in the global no, context, <laughs> we weren't so good, right? No, we weren't that hot. And um, if Australia does want to be hot, we, we've got to address things like climate change um, and, and we, can, we can do it in a way that that is, um, is smart from an electorate point of view but also advances our position. Garno also says that we actually don't have a choice in many in many aspects, that we will become a global um, uh, outcast if we don't move, and and our you know we will think we're we're way better than uh, than we actually are or there how are others signs, view us. Yeah, well, that's 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 already the case, isn't it? We're yeah. getting a lot of pressure now from the new Biden administration, and we can sort of feel that building. We've That's got right. uh, we've got uh, the Europeans and the and the British particularly uh, muscling up on, mm-hmm. on climate action. We know we've got these meetings this year. There's even even quite significant movement coming from China. Um, That's right. We're, we're, and you think about it, there are economies in the world that we like to think we're better than, that are doing better than us. Um, we are lagging in in many respects. Um, and you know, kind of uh, social inequalities. One of those uh, is one of those things that we're lagging in terms of redressing it. Um, and um, it just we've we've lost our we've lost 
our belief in ourselves as a nation almost. It's do you think where that, did we go wrong? Do you think that um, some of that is down to the fact that we have universal health care and that this, in a sense, masks some of the other problems because it yeah. is such a fun, I mean, that, that's not to minimise it. Universal mm. health care is such an important structural element of the Australian economy and society mm. and it is now a, a bipartisan thing. Yes. Uh, you know, um, Tony Abbott used to say, we're the best friend Medicare ever had and, <laughs> and um, got everyone to chant it. It was um, it sort of needed to be said because yes. it was in question and it, it sort of isn't in question anymore. Mm. You might remember the first Medi care, which was called Medibank, yes. by the Whitlam government, did get rolled back by the subsequent Fraser government. So, um, you know, it wasn't wasn't a political given, but it is now. Mm. Um, and I wonder the extent to which things like that and our universal education system, which has broadly worked better than most yes. countries, have masked some of these other trends. We've had this sort of laissez-faire, you know, neoliberal approach mm. to things. And as you say, kind of disparities between the haves and the have-nots have yeah. been allowed to widen and yet they're kind of – there's a natural backstop there, which is that if you get sick, you can still go to a That's right. accident and emergency room of a hospital and you can still, you know, get, get free health care. Definitely. I, they're, they're phenomenal um, supports. Um, and um, if we were to compare ourselves to the US, um, the moment austerity occurs, um, we see that reflected in – life expectancy, for example. Yeah. And over right. recent times, we've prior to COVID, we were seeing that reflected. We are seeing the poor. Because um, the US is actually experiencing a decline in life expectancy. Indeed. Supposedly the apex nation of the world, if you listen to Americans. Yeah. Um, it certainly hasn't been an apex nation, apex democracy in recent times. Mm, no. uh, and um, Or civil society for that mm. matter. And it's not in, in, in terms of life expectancy either, either. You know, it likes to yep. think of itself as the richest nation on earth. That's right. But in fact, we've seen over a period of time life expectancy drifting in the wrong direction. That's right. And over COVID, rather steeply moving in that direction. What's so extraordinary from a demographer's point of view is how fast the decline over the COVID period has occurred in life expectancy. If you were to look at the way that life expectancy is calculated, it's a kind of complex formulation that that takes in age-specific death rates um, and, you know, does some fancy here and there via what's known as life tables. Google it if you're interested. But um, it, it it's not like it's really sensitive a measure to to kind of any tiny change. So what we're seeing is a true reflection of failure um, when it comes to health and healthcare. We are lucky here in Australia, yes, right? And we've come a long way, yes. But the reality is, is your postcode determines your health outcomes across Australia. If you live beyond the city limits, your expectation in your length and quality of life is lower. First Nations Australians, it it um vastly lower. Holy cow! Mm. And it's something we've just gone. Eh, it, it is what it is. Yeah. To borrow that it's, line. It's, yes, it's down to distance and yeah. There's so much going problems. on that. Yeah. But we're not addressing the structural discrimination, racism, access to services, 
inequalities that are hard baked into every aspect of the way that we do things, education, health, um, transportation, you know, all of these things all go into one. Um, and I think what's so neat about Garno is that he just goes, you know what, I can't do everything, um, but these are some simple ways, you know, universal basic in- income, uh, which kind of makes some people shake at the prospect of, in, you know, driving up prices or, or doing something quite perverse with the markets. No, that's not how it's going to go. Well, one of the one of the immediate responses you get is what? So wealthy people get paid by the government, or that's right. Or, or so we just assume wealthy. everyone's going to get money. Like no. it's what's so cool. Um, during the week, I saw Peter Whiteford. Um, comment um, on social media about... He's another ANU academic we've had on this. Uh, yeah, podcast. yeah. He made a comment about um, uh, that, that the childcare uh, benefit was being referred to as a universal basic income in some parts of the world, referring to the Australian um, childcare uh, benefit. And you kind of, when you think about it like that, you go, oh, okay. So if we kind of realise that that, that this kind, this population, this group of people require some kind of basic income, that shifts your, your view of what a universal basic income might be like. It does, and it just goes, to, it's another lesson in sort of marketing and nomenclature. That's exactly like it's, right. It's That's named right. differently. Yeah, you think why, of it differently. maybe we yeah. need to call it something else. Um, you, you're totally right, and but it, you can't. That's what the the mic drop moment for me was. Is is how can we better, as you say, market it or or advocate uh, for something? Yeah, just get around that glib response that right? you're giving people money for nothing, which people is one get of the free problems stuff? you have. Yeah, 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 and then sparks the. Well, am I going to get enough free stuff? And then you realise, you know, that that actually the wealthy are the ones that are most listened to and most privileged in the policy space. Uh, you know, it, it, you kind of, and they're the ones getting. And I'm going to say this: they're getting the handouts for negative gearing. And if we maybe if we start referring to those those tax incentives as handouts. Maybe that might change the way. Well, they we are, things. and they're getting they are. getting it for franking credits, and they're getting oh, it for hello. capital gains tax concessions, yep. and they're getting it for uh, in, in superannuation. They're tax getting treatment, a which free ride on the 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 government's purse, and they're you know, and little do many people realise that people on income um, uh, unemployment benefits they pay a bit of tax. So they're paying. They're they're paying for these things, right? You mean in right? GST in particular? Well, no. Well, they well not just that, but they're when you your um your benefits are often taxed as someone who is receiving income support. As long as you go over the tax free threshold, you yeah. So you you you'll get you'll be paying. You'll be contributing to the benefits that these people are experiencing. All right, well, just one last thing. And going back to we were talking about, um, you know, demographic issues from the, from COVID, um, life expectancy, for example. Um, and I, I heard a stat the other day, and I, I can't vouch for this absolutely, but it, um, and I think I heard it on AM, but uh, that um, African-American males had a three-year drop in life expectancy in one year uh, as a result of COVID, which is, you know, shows that there's, 
Mm. Th- that would in some ways be directly down to COVID in other yeah. ways down to a lot of the hardships associated with dislocation, particularly yep. homelessness, um, you know, uh, being out of work and... Discrimination. And, uh, yeah. Yep. And through the, the, the Northern American winter. I mean, mm. it's not like something in, we in this country really understand the severity of that mm. kind of weather and, and how, how potentially lethal it is for people who are who are not in proper shelter. Mm. Um, what about thinking back on in Australia in terms of immigration and those sort of numbers? I mean, mm. we, we've had our borders closed yep. for more than 12 months now, yep. or about 12 months, I guess, to this stage, mm. uh, and there's no talk of opening them up soon. No. What's that going to do to Australia's population? Yeah. So, um, and I think we've previously discussed this, you know, we're kind of, we're faced with the potential of a um, an older, whiter and potentially um, smaller than anticipated population. Now, that kind of headline, you kind of go, okay, a lot of people are going, that could be a good thing. The difficulty we need to is we need to get away from talking about absolute numbers, the size of this, big that, little that. It's the composition that matters, the composition in terms of the age distribution of the population to ensure that um, we've got the right balance of people in in the labour force to be able to, first of all, replace the exits from the labour force but also to help um, pay for the services that we've we've come accustomed to. Now, without in the absence of any kind of major change in the way that we do um, uh, the kind of um, monetary policy and the like, that's that's how we're going to have to deal with it. And 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 Garno does suggest an alternative in his book, and I'll I'll let you. Uh, you all read that. Um, uh, I would probably mangle his his um, suggestions entirely. Um, we need to realise that we are confronted with the real reality that living standards could go backwards, um, and we now need to take. And that really hasn't happened since the war, has it? Well, in terms of living standards. Overall living standards in Australia? Yeah, and, and, and I think what's so frustrating is as, as a demographer is this has been in train for some time. It was, you know, the ageing of the population. We're not replacing ourselves. We're having too few children. Um, we've got to a point where... We've kind of gone, yeah, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But if we look at survey data, for example, about the why people, you know, are people having the number of kids that they, they want, they tend not to. We readjust uh, the number of children we intend to have over the life course because it's just too difficult, right? There are things like childcare. There are things like um, housing affordability, Addressing climate change issues, these all of you know, these policy, big policy issues, are the challenge that this government and the next government, whomever they be, um, need to address. Just as a final thing, speaking of housing affordability, you've mm. you've commented on a proposal by Tim Wilson, the yeah. coalition MP, who's advocated a kind of what is it, home first, superannuation second. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, which is which is a reversal of the 
you know, sort of what's broadly been the consensus yep. position in Australia that superannuation is good and that we mm. should, you know, be saving, adding to our retirement. Yes. There are some people, of course, who, as a result of money that they're parking in retirement savings, have less, le- less, um, uh, you know, disposable income on a weekly basis, and that may lock them out of their housing market yes. in terms of home ownership. Is that your uh, is that your assessment of it? I mean, would you yeah, like to see that I, emphasis change? I think what Tim Wilson is proposing is something that should be considered. Um, and I know you're probably all falling off your chairs and coughing on your your bagel or your your coffee you got in your mouth. Well, but don't do that because I actually might get him on. To talk about <laughs> it. Do you know what he? I don't agree with a lot of what he's said and done, but. What this this um, home first super second is what he's referring to mm. is the, an idea that people who would be you, you, there would need to be eligibility strict eligibility about age. Um, um, people of a particular age range think think thirties forties maybe fifties. Um, who it, it's getting to the point where they're probably if they haven't saved up a deposit then it's not likely going to happen. Um, and more importantly, the, the banks are not going to look favourably upon a loan application um, because the possibility of paying it off before one kind of gets to the end of working life is is reduced. So what this essentially would allow would be early access to a proportion or a particular amount um, of super um, to then invest into a wealth creation, which is the home. Mm. So a lot of people are concerned, well, it will undermine savings at the end of the day. It will put people in a risky position. And perhaps drive housing prices up. And drive, yeah. But here's the thing. I've got to live somewhere, right? Mm. I have to live somewhere and my children need to live somewhere. And my children and I should not suffer the consequences of our our um, loss of the lottery of life and our disadvantage, that intergenerational transmission of disadvantage should be cut, right? Mm. And this is one innovative opportunity. No one on any side of politics has suggested anything even remotely um, uh, innovative recently that to address housing affordability. No one wants to touch it because of fear that it will drive up costs of housing, yeah. right? The, so in the absence of totally taking, you know, cutting the knees off the, the, the housing market and seeing prices drop, which no one wants to happen, which no one yeah, will ever see. They want it to happen, but it ain't going to happen no. because it's not good, right? No. So what is it's the not alternative? Politically good, not yeah. politically good. So what is the alternative, right? This is the only option that has kind of been put forward that if you think about it, I need to live live somewhere, I'm paying rent because of the circumstances of my family, I can't save and pay rent, I do have superannuation, I would be in a kind of that eligible age range, then what happens is I gain security and I gain the opportunity for wealth creation whereby I'm not going to reach retirement and then kind of die in a ditch because I've got no housing, which we know if you enter retirement and you're a renter, your outcomes are far worse off Mm. than those that own or are owning a home. 
And I think that at, I'm faced with the prospect that that when I when I do come to age, age preservation, I'm not suggesting I might ever be able to retire. I'm not even kind of go being as it does seem some way off in your yeah, case, yeah. Uh, no yeah, no anyway but <laughs> <laughs> um, but it um, I'd only be using my superannuation. I'd take all of it and go. I'm going to buy whatever I can, um, and then I'd be left with nothing. And then I'd be going. Hello, I'll take the age pension now, thanks. So it actually, if I can use that superannuation now, not all of it, some of it, to, to, to help me and my family better ourselves, we then get to the end of, of my life course and I'm not being, I'm not asking for that additional support. In fact, I'm then able to contribute more. I'm just asking for it to be piloted. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's a very interesting suggestion. We've got nothing to lose. As always, a great deal of food for thought from you, Liz Allen. Mm. Thanks so much for coming on. Or as as I say, as you are known, Dr. Demography. Dr. Demography. We actually called it Demography Sausage when we, we were did. last on there. We did. I, I can't tell you how person, excited. You're the yeah. only person yeah. who's managed to change the name of this podcast for a special Look, I episode. have that kind of way. I think I, I, I'd make a good cult leader, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Watch bear, this space. I'll bear that in mind if I'm <laughs> shopping around for one. Thank you all for being uh, there with us all the way through this episode of Democracy Sausage. Uh, if you want to interact with us, of course, you can do so via Apps Policy Forum at Apps Policy Forum on Twitter. That's APPS Policy Forum on Twitter. So um, feel free to give us some feedback. Uh, we always like to uh, hear what people are thinking and uh, suggestions and uh, ways in which we might. Um, improve or treat some issues, uh, draw attention to one matter or another. Take uh, take the time to do that. We'd really appreciate it. Until next week, that's all for Democracy Sausage. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.